blow wirelessly, but it's, it was funny how easy it was for people to think of dumb things they'd seen and dumb things they'd done because that's life, right? And we're, we're talking for the next couple of weeks about this theme of two kinds of idiots. And we're going to talk about one kind today and then another kind of t- next week. And it's interesting how the Bible actually talks a whole lot about idiots. <laughs> you ex- you, maybe you don't hear about that, but there's a whole lot about fools. And both Jesus called people fools quite a bit. And then Proverbs is full of discussion about fools compared to the wise and foolish actions versus wise actions. And again, we, well, there's just a whole lot of, of our life and things that we both do and see others do that's just kind of dumb. Um, there's one proverb, though, that really sums up foolishness, I think, better than any other. And that's actually not a proverb, it's in Psalm. Psalm 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And there's nothing more foolish in the world than to say that there's no God. And you may be like, okay, you know, that's, you know, depending on where you're at, you may be really offended by that if you're an atheist. Or you may be like, yeah, those atheists, like, man, that's so dumb. But I was thinking about this recently when I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. And this is a friend who, he's, he's very educated. He's very successful. He was a successful athlete growing up and has a successful career now. Highly educated. Um, he's been through some tough stuff in life. But really, really successful, really what everybody would, you, you would think of him as a good guy. And I was having this conversation with him about his beliefs about God. And we've been friends, for we've known each other for a couple years, but we hadn't really talked about that, at least not for a while. And we started talking, said, you know, you know these are my thoughts, I believe. There's, there's, there's a God. There's, there's got to be something, some higher power. But he said, but honestly, I just, I really haven't thought about it very much. And I really don't think about it very much. And after this conversation, I was just pondering that a little bit. And I was just kind of troubled by like, wow, that's, here's this guy who seems to have a lot going for him. People would say like, you know, you're a good guy, you're successful. But it's the idea that you can live a good life without pondering really what's the most important question in life which is, who is God? And what's then everything that follows from that? What's his purpose for me? What's his purpose for the world? And the idea, like it can seem so reasonable to be going through life on your own terms, using your own reason, using your own strengths, and going through life without really giving God too much thought. But really, that's very foolish. Because God is the one who made us. And God is the one this is all about. And to live life without basing things on God is, is, is just dumb. And so I was thinking about, about my friend, and just like in our culture, how common that is, and really something that needs to be addressed. Like, man, we should be like helping people to realize, no, you know, we need to talk. You, you, you need to think about that more. That's important. You have one day, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you'll stand before God and give an account for your life. So you really should think about this. Um, but then, you know, where it's always easier to do this about other people, but then I start thinking about myself. And okay, how much of my life is like that? You know, how much of my life am I doing things just kind of out of my own thoughts and my own desires? 
and my own strengths and what, what seems good to me. And I was driving back from Kansas City from a couple soccer games yesterday with, with my wife Reagan and our two kids. It's like, hey, can you like think, tell me ways like, where, where do I do that? Where do I like not really think about God and just kind of act like God, kind of play God in my own life? That's our title today is playing God because that's what this is. And it was funny how quickly my wife and son like were able to like think of like all the ways like, yeah, you come home and you're like telling everybody what to do and you have an idea what the house should look like and what our schedule should look like and how, what our decisions should be. And it's just kind of like what you do out of what seems right to you. And it's not really considering us or other people's perspective or really God. You kind of assume it's God because it's what you think, but it really isn't. <laughs> and so I was like, oh man, yes, how, how much, how, how often? Do I, do I play God? And so this is, this is a true reality, both for, for unbelievers and for believers. It's easy for us to be idiots in, in this manner of just, whether we say in our hearts there is no God or whether we just kind of live as if there's no God, this is a very easy way to live. And so we're going to look at um, a classic case in the Bible of someone who has lived in this way and how God graciously worked in their life in a way that didn't feel too gracious for, for, a, for part of it. And so we're going to look at the story of King Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonian Empire, which was the most powerful empire in the world. So he was like kind of the equivalent of President Trump in the ancient world. He was the ruler of this empire that stretched over just this vast territory. And, and, he, and he was the king. And Babylon, actually, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Babylon is a picture of, of the city of man, or of people doing stuff on their own strength and for themselves. So in Genesis, you see the Tower of Babel. That's the beginning of Babylon. And it was this, this tower that was built, people trying to build a, a skyscraper that was really like a temple sort of ziggurat structure, probably, that was trying to reach towards heaven but something they could do in their own strength. And all throughout scripture, we see Babylon as kind of this, this motif of us doing things in our own strength and our own effort to be God without acknowledging and serving the one true, true God. So I'm going to just read through this story. You, some of us have, are, familiar, are familiar with it or have heard it before. Some of us haven't. I'm going to read a lot of this chapter because it's just such a good illustration of this and, and so powerful. So Daniel chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar is writing to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. This is him writing after the story happened, okay? So this is after he's, he's learned the lesson of what he's going to describe to us. In verse 3, he says, How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then he starts telling the story. In verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. It's interesting that we can forget God or turn against God when things are difficult in life. That's something that often causes people to distance themselves from God. But probably an even bigger cause of us playing God is when things are going well in our life. 
right? We're, when things are going well, we kind of don't think that we need God. We just easily just sort of like take credit for ourselves. And here's Nebuchadnezzar. At home in his palace, at ease, things are going good. It's, it's, it's a good life. I, then I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And verse, verse 10, we... He describes the dream. It says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision, so there's this, he sees this, this dream of this massive tree, goes to heaven, it's beautiful, it's tall, it's, it has uh, great leaves, it's beautiful to look at, and it provides shade and fruit for, for people and animals all over the world. So you may be putting two and two together, like, oh, maybe this, you know, I wonder what that means. Um, but then, in verse 13, I saw the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, so this is this, a spiritual being, part of God's divine counsel, part of the counsel of heaven that is with God and helps make decisions with God. A watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end, for the purpose that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. Wow, so there's this dream. And so, what happens next? I'm going to summarize a little bit, but he comes to Daniel, who's a, a man of God, a Hebrew, who's been taken as a captive into exile in Babylon, and he is, has interpreted dreams for the king before, has a lot of wisdom, and Daniel basically tells him what you may have figured out if you didn't know before, but he said, hey, that tree? He, first of all, he was just shaken with, with, kind of, with, with intensity. He said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this, king, this dream was for your enemies. I wish this dream wasn't for you. But this dream is for you. And you're that tree. You're that massive tree. God's made you this tree, and he's set you over all the kingdoms of all the world. And he's given you a place of responsibility, and he's given you great gifts, and you are providing something that's supposed to, to care for the world, care for the different peoples around the world. But he said, but something's going to happen. And you're going to have this, you're going to lose your, your senses. And you're going to 
you're going to have this taken away from you and be driven away from your kingdom until you acknowledge that the Most High is the King, that He's God and you're not. And um, so Daniel said, uh, we're, he basically said, I, I want to find that, sorry. I'm, in verse, um, verse 27, he says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and end your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says, hey, maybe God will be merciful if you humble yourself. If you see, hey, okay, I need God, and I'm, I'm practicing unrighteousness, I'm not following his ways, and I'm really not treating people well. There's a whole lot of oppression that I'm responsible for. I'm taking advantage of people and ruling harshly and taking their stuff, taxing them highly, taking them into service. There's, I'm responsible for a whole lot of oppression. But if I like, started caring for them, using my gifts to care for them instead of oppressing them, maybe God would be merciful to you. So that was his advice. Did Nebuchadnezzar take it? No, he didn't. So in verse 20, 20, uh, 26, 28, sorry. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and spoke to himself and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my great power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? He's like just kind of caught up in the moment. Like, wow, there's my kingdom. I've done good. I've done good. I've built this great kingdom. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Okay, I mean, if you can just like really get in the story. We sort of, I think, sometimes lose the, the power of something because it's like, oh, that's in the Bible. It's like a long time ago. But this really happened. All right, this is intense. The most powerful man in the world in one moment went out, lost his mind, and became like an animal, living, in the, crawling around on the grass, eating grass, his nails growing long, his hair growing long, just being a crazy homeless man, wandering around. I mean, just think about like the, the scandal of Babylon. Like, oh my goodness, King Nebuchadnezzar, like he's living out there, outside town in that field. And he's a crazy dude now. And like that, like that made all the newspapers, right? I mean, that was all over the internet. That was like, this, this is a big story. Everyone heard about what happened to the most powerful man in the world. And he was completely humbled. Completely humbled. 
for seven periods of time. We're not sure that, a lot of people think that's seven years. Um, but for a long period of time, he lost. He, that was what happened to him. But then in verse 34, it says, At the end of the days, the end of those seven periods of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded or accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can question God. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. That was an odd thought. You know, the counselors would be like, oh, let's go find Nebuchadnezzar. Let's bring him back. I mean, that definitely was not their own thought. And I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I just love that story. I know it's a little longer passage today, but it just, I think it says it so powerfully. That those who, who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, that's, that's a theme all throughout Scripture. In Proverbs 29, 23, we're told that one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Our pride, our playing God, our living without thinking about God or dependence upon God, brings us low. But one who's humble, God finds those people. God loves to find the humble person and say, hey, I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to promote them. I'm going to show off my grace in that person's life. That's how God works. He exalts the humble, but humbles the proud. And also in this, this story, I think it's just so, such a great picture of the fact that everything we have comes from God. Right? Like, we tend to be so much like, so readily taunting, you know? We're like basketball players, taunting our stuff. You know, like, see that move? See that shot I just made? Like, with our life, like, it's, when things are going well, like, we're, we're so quick to take credit for things going well, and so quick to blame God for the things that aren't going well in our life, right? I mean, it should be the opposite. But the reality is everything that we have in our life comes from God. Every gift, every ability, every resource, the goodness, the good stuff in us, he's put in us, we're made as his imagers, but it's from God, and it's for God. And so God is wanting us to, to understand that. And so really, the, what Nebuchadnezzar, oh man, that's a, it, was, it was bound to happen, tongue-tied Nebuchadnezzar, trying to say his name. What Nebuchadnezzar, what needed to happen in his life, was he needed to acknowledge God as God. And that's how we need to go from playing God to acknowledging God as God. And that's what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. That's what he wants to do in our lives, too. He wants to take us from, from, from playing God to, to seeing that, not just lip service, but really, oh God, you're God. And you're not just God out there somewhere, but you're my God. I'm going to bow my knee to you. I look around the room here, and I know a lot of our stories, and I know that 
Man, for a whole lot of us, we would say, you know, the thing that really changed my life was I believed in God, like I believed He existed. I even believed He was my Savior. I believed He died on the cross for my sins. But it wasn't until I said, oh, you're Lord. You're King. You're calling me to surrender my life to you, to your leadership in my life, that that's when my life really changed. And that's when I really came into the goodness that God has for me. I remember um, this, I've had so many conversations, I'm thinking of one recently where someone said, yeah, I just, that's what, for me, like I came to that point, like I'd heard it, I'd heard it, I'd heard it so much. I grew up in the church. But when it finally, like, my will was crossed, and I realized I haven't really surrendered. Or I knew I hadn't surrendered. And, that's, and then that road got narrower and narrower and narrower. And I was really miserable. And I came to a place of, okay, God, I surrender to you. That's when I came to know God and his purpose for my life. And so that's what God calls every one of us into, is seeing Jesus not only as Savior, but also as Lord. And you know, another way to say this is to become a disciple. Now, we like to say around here that Christians go to heaven, but disciples change the world. God's called us. The, the normal word in the Bible for followers of Jesus is disciples. That's generally what, and a disciple is a wholehearted follower. One who says, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I'm, I'm acknowledging you as God in my everyday life. Um, so when we acknowledge God as God, I just want to kind of look at just two simple things this, this breaks down to. We acknowledge God as God by, one, acknowledging our need for God. We acknowledge, man, I need a God. I need a Savior. Not just like, oh yeah, you're the Savior, but I need a Savior. We don't really appreciate Jesus and what he did on the cross until we see, oh, I am a sinner. I, my sins, sent you to the cross, and I need you. I need your sacrifice on the cross to take away my sins. I'm owning that. Um, I, I acknowledge my need for God. Um, I just heard this week that there, there was a Gallup poll studying pastors, surveying pastors, and soon after COVID hit, back in, in March, pastors were very optimistic about how the challenge was they were seeing more spiritual hunger, and they were optimistic that people were going to experience a lot of spiritual growth and transformation. But recently, the survey has changed, and pastors are not optimistic because what they are seeing is that, wow, yeah, a lot of people aren't responding. We're, we're not seeing people seeing their need for transformation. And so as much as we need it, we oftentimes don't realize our need for transformation. Um, and so we need to acknowledge our need for God. I actually want to, we got one more video here. Go ahead and show that. This, we asked one more question to, to people and um, this kind of this ties in here. So let's go ahead and watch that. So the question is, is it, what do you think about people getting guidance from God? Can, uh, be very good, very I think that's amazing. 
you know, I think, uh, I mean, I wish I got um, such divine intervention to tell me where I'm going, right? I feel like most of my life has just been guesswork. But I think if someone was told, like, you know, the, the Lord came to them and said, hey, this is, what, this is your vocation, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. I I didn't know how people would respond when we asked, hey, if, what do you think about people who say that they get day-to-day -day guidance in their life from God? And basically everybody we talked to said, you know, that that sounds like a good thing. That sounds like a good thing to acknowledge our need for God. And that if He actually would guide us, that would be great. So to acknowledge God as God, we acknowledge our need for God. And then this, when we really see this in the story, it's about acknowledging that our gifts are from God, and they're for God. And we talked about, I talked about this a little earlier, but acknowledging that what we have is from God, and it's for God. And the way that plays out is that if it's for God, it's for other people too. Because God says, if you love me, you'll love others. That the way, one of the main ways we love God is by offering our lives and giving our gifts and our resources to him and, and to others. Um, you know, I love how you see this in the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Like he had leadership abilities, he had incredible riches, he had this kingdom, this, this dominion. He probably was a pretty, you know, I, I imagine a very talented, strong individual with a lot of education and training. And he had been given a lot. And it was natural for him to think, oh, this is me. But it was when he realized, oh, no, this isn't from me, this is from God. And the kingdom that I've been given isn't just about my kingdom, but it's about God's kingdom. And my kingdom is really designed to serve, intended to serve God's kingdom. That's where the penny dropped. And he figured it out. And the same thing is true for us, is that we're all, we're all imagers. Every single person driving their car in Manhattan is made in the image of God, has been given amazing gifts and abilities, a reflection of God. Every, we all, I mean, it's so easy for us to live with a scarcity mindset, but we've all been given so much. But our tendency is to hold on to those things. But really where we find life is we say, God, that's from you and it's for you. And I want to figure out how can I use those gifts for you and for others. And I just, I love how just every Sunday morning this plays out in our community. You know, I love showing up here at like 845 on Sunday morning and there are people like setting stuff up. And there are people getting ready to practice music. And then there are people like getting video stuff set up. And we've got people, greeters coming. And people getting ready to work with the kids. And I'm like, wow, it's just really cool to see a church, being a church where people are bringing their different, their life and their talents and their resources together to serve others. And that's just Sunday morning. I mean, that's, that's really important. But knowing that people in this room are every day making choices to, to use what God has given them and to make a difference in the lives of others. Like, that's really who God has called us to be. And that's really what's fun. You know, that's really a team, and where different people are bringing different things, and it, it changes things so much. And so I've been thinking about this recently, just even for, we're going to talk more next week um, about related things, but I think even just for, for our church, I've been thinking about this, like, man, it'd be so, it's cool. Like, just look at this room today, and we're 
we're trying to practice some social distancing. And we have people that aren't here that are watching things online um, because of health concerns and, and the guidelines and everything. I thought, you know, we've, we've been talking about how we would really like to have more space for more people. Like we would like to be able to go to two services during this COVID time and say, you know what, we're going to have two services that we have room for people. And really, if we had like 20 more people that were coming, like we would need to be doing that. And so I think like, yeah, we could do that. Like I really believe like as we are using our gifts and resources and reaching out to people around us, like, man, that's, that's something God is in his heart and ready to do in this season of time, is seeing more people experience him and come into his purpose for their lives. But I'm like, man, that's, that's going to take more of everything, right? It's going to take more, more greeters, more set-up people. Maybe not more set-up people, but it sure would be helpful to, to have some more help. Um, you know, just more video people, sound people. Oh, it would be great. And so there's an opportunity. I'll just throw that out there. Man, if you're like, man, how can I respond today? Hey, grab one of those cards out in the lobby. There are places to serve. We could use more people using your gifts and resources um, to serve in this way. And then there's so many other ways. That, you know, different gifts God has given us to do that. So, but man, I just think, man, that would be an awesome testimony. If we looked back on 2020, fall 2020, and we were like, man, we had to go to two services. And we had people, like, find different gifts and different ways to give of their life that helped us serve people and serve God with who he has made us to be in our community in this season. And we went to two services in 2020. And then after COVID, like, more people were coming, and we still needed two services. So it was awesome. We were ready. Like, that would, I, I believe God could do that. And I want to encourage us to, to extend our faith and ask, God, how could I be a part of using my gifts and resources? To, to be part of what you're doing in the world. So, um, man, that's the call to each of us. You know, the call to acknowledge our need for God, to recognize that our gifts are from him, and to devote what he's given us to, to serve him and to serve others. So let me just pray for us, and we are going to um, also worship with one more song as we, as we go out. But let's, let's pray together. Lord, just thank you that you, um, that we're like Nebuchadnezzar in the sense that, that you've given us a whole lot and you have a plan for what you've given us and a purpose that's part of your bigger purpose. And Lord, I, I ask right now that you would show us, you would bring to mind the gifts that you've given us that are from you. Maybe it's a natural talent. Maybe it's an interest. Maybe it's a group of people that we have a heart for. Spiritual gift. Those different things. Lord, would you bring those things to mind? And Lord, even show us. Give us ideas. Give us creativity. Like, God, how can I, how can I not only acknowledge that, but then Use that for you and for others. God, I pray that this would be a season. If, if, um, if there's weariness in doing that, I pray there would be a renewal of vision and an encouragement in that. Um, if there's just, the, man, I've never done that before, I pray for encouragement. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, we trust you to do something through our lives, to continue to do things through our lives that only you can do. We thank you that we're part of this already. And Lord, we trust you to continue that in powerful ways. 
We thank you for this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I think we can go ahead and stand up and let's, um, let's worship God together with our singing. <laughs>